No shades of death nor hell beneath thy people from thee sever. We see this to be especially true in our passage today. We'll be reading this morning from Jeremiah 23, the verses 1 to 8. Jeremiah 23, the verses 1 to 8, where the people of God were facing concerns of a different nature, and yet God promises to preserve. You'll be able to find that on page 896 of your pew Bible. Looking ahead to Christmas, this passage also reflects on the coming of our Lord. We read here in the word of God, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastures, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all of the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. So far, the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have you ever spoken with somebody who is feeling the effects of someone who had sinned against them? Maybe there was someone in authority over them that had failed or had sinned against them. Or maybe they're in a relationship with that person through blood, through marriage, through friendship or through work. And you can see the pain that's caused by that person's sinful actions. This is what the prophet Jeremiah is experiencing right now. Jeremiah was writing this book about 600 years before Christ. And a ways prior to that, in 722 BC, Israel had been taken into exile for their sins. In, in Jeremiah's day, the nation of Israel was a living testament to the fact that the Lord will carry out what he warns about. However, as he's preaching to the, the leaders of the people of Judah, to the spiritual leaders and to the political leaders, they are not listening. He compares their leadership to shepherds over a flock of sheep. And he says that their failure to shepherd the people has led to national disaster. And now, looking ahead, the Lord would carry the people of Judah into exile. 
the failure of the nation could be directly laid at the feet of the failed leaders of the people. They had reached a point of no return here, and now the exile was looming ahead of them. This was around 600. The exile happened in 586 B.C., less than 20 years later. The nation of Judah is now experiencing the consequences of failures in their leadership and there's a period of darkness that's stretching out ahead of them. All that the people can see ahead of them is darkness. What hope is there? Well, today Jeremiah teaches us it may be dark. Your leaders may have failed you. But your God will never fail you. Your God will bring you salvation. And this is the gospel message that's preached to you today under the following theme, a royal hope for the future. And we'll see, first of all, the failed shepherds, secondly, the good shepherd, and third, the deliverance that the Lord promises his people. Now, as we saw before, the, the picture of shepherds is a picture of the leadership over God's people. The picture of those shepherds who have scattered the flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. These were the leaders of the people. One of the examples of this was a man named King Zedekiah. He was a king around this time, and he had been installed as king of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. This, is hap- this had happened after a siege in Jerusalem in 597 BC. Nebuchadnezzar had placed him there to succeed the king who was before him, his nephew, Jeconiah. He had been overthrown as king after a reign of only three months and ten days. So basically, this this man, Zedekiah, he was placed there as a puppet king underneath Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Zedekiah was a man who didn't listen to the warnings of the Lord. Although Jeremiah had called him back to faithfulness, to learn from the sins of Jeconiah, the king who had come before him, he didn't listen. This is especially uh, a great contrast if you consider what Zedekiah's name is supposed to mean. Zedekiah means the Lord is righteousness. The Lord is righteousness or Yahweh is righteous. The covenant Lord, the Lord of promise, is righteous. And as king, he was intended to embody the righteousness of Yahweh's rule over his people. As king, he was supposed to represent God's good and right rule over the people. But if anything, his kingship went to war against the righteousness of God. We read in 2 Kings 24, verses 19 to 20, that he also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out of his presence. Zedekiah, the shepherd and national leader of Israel, had failed. 
But it wasn't just Zedekiah who had failed. It was also all of the priests who have failed. Those who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the people of God. In Jeremiah 2 verse 8, the Lord accuses the spiritual leaders as well through Jeremiah, saying the priests didn't say, where's the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. Bad shepherds had failed the people again and led the way as the nation plunged itself into sin. But as we look at this, we can see that this isn't a pattern that stayed with the people of Israel alone. This is something that the people of God face time and time and time again throughout history. In Jesus' day, there were Pharisees whom Jesus said went across sea and land to win a single convert only to make him twice the son of hell that they were. Matthew 23, verse 15. If we look in church history, there was the Roman Catholic churches banning the regular people who weren't clergy from having their own Bible at the Council of Toulouse in the year 1229. Not only were they not allowed to have their own Bible according to that church council, but having it translated into their own language was especially strictly forbidden. And in the later council, they commanded that within eight days of the decree being published, All Bibles from the laity, from the people, the congregation members, had to be delivered to the clergy in order that they could be burned. Today as well, we can see where shepherds have failed due to their sin. Preachers of the health and wealth gospel do incredible amounts of damage. Preachers who direct the hearts and the eyes of the congregation away from their Bibles, away from the word of God and towards themselves or towards something else, the pursuit of happiness. They do incredible damage as well. While they might gather a large following for themselves, they are still in doing so, verse 2 of our passage, scattering the flock from God having driven them away and not attended to their true spiritual needs. But it's not just those outside, is it? We leaders in the church of Christ, we are sinners as well. 1 John 1 says that if anyone says he is without sin, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. And when you're in a leadership position, whether it be as a teacher, whether it be as an elder, deacon, pastor, whether it be in any other position, looking into your heart, you know the truth of this. Our catechism teaches us that our old nature inclines us to hate God and our neighbor in Lord's Day 2, and that there is a constant struggle that is going on within our old natures. Within our, within, our, within our nature, putting our old nature to death. And we are to grieve with a heartfelt sorrow because of this sin more and more to hate it and flee from it as we confess in Lord's Day 33. And so we are reminded that we are not free from sin simply because we're placed in positions of authority. 
As shepherds and overseers of the flock under Christ, this passage in Jeremiah is a cause for self-examination. Because there are times when we leaders in our own church need to repent as well. Where our words and actions take the eyes of congregation members off of Christ instead of pointing them to Christ. And the flock of Christ can be hurt by our own sins and our own shortcomings. This kind of sin grieves us. And we do ask for your forgiveness in the places that we have fallen short, that we have sinned against you, beloved. We as fellow sinners ask for your forgiveness where we have sinned against you and not pointed us, pointed you to Christ. The awareness of our own inadequacy and complete need to depend on God for his grace in our tasks rests heavily upon us. But for all of us, when we read Scripture, we don't just look at it to see how it points to others. As we look at this, we don't just paint people in history with this brush. We don't paint other people in our church with this brush. Scripture lays bare each of our own hearts. And as we see this, we see all of us having need for a deliverer. And it's for this reason that we are so grateful for the redeeming work of our over-shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, as we come in repentance to him. And this brings us to our second point, the good shepherd. The fact that human shepherds are sinful and the fact that sometimes in the church leadership or people who are in other positions over, of authority over those who are under their care can have an impact on all of us in our day-to-day lives. You feel unattended, you feel unheard, and you feel hurt by words and actions. And as leaders, as elders, as, as parents, as teachers, as bosses, you may feel like you might not have approached things the right way and maybe your frustration led you to a sinful response. And while you have repented and asked for forgiveness and worked with the Spirit's grace to be, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you may wonder if you are just better off throwing it all in and giving up in despair. Is it beyond repair? Hold on to that thought. Is it beyond repair? Both as those who fall short and those who feel the effects of their leader's shortcomings. And look back at our passage today. The nation of Judah was in a position in which they faced darkness ahead of them as a consequence of their own actions and there, there seemed to be no hope. The king whose name meant the Lord is righteous, was living in wickedness. And his rule amounted to one that had no real authority. It wasn't really him reigning, 
but it was him being a puppet over the people of God. The certainty of the exile was ahead of them. What hope could they have? Everything seemed to be the opposite of what it should be. But as they looked into the long darkness that stretches ahead of them, the Lord promises them light. The Lord promises them a king whose name will be the Lord our righteousness. In the midst of the darkness, a bright day is coming. That is the promise that lay ahead for the people of Israel. And that's why the Bible is such a book of hope. A hope of a better tomorrow. A hope of a better life lying beyond. A hope of a kingdom age. A king is coming. He is the righteous branch of David. David, the king who came before, the one who was held up as an example for the people of Israel up to that age as the ideal king, even with his failures, the king after whom other kings should model themselves. This king would be like him, yet better. A king not like the failed king Zedekiah and the many other leaders who had led Israel to embrace wickedness. He would be a king who would reign and prosper. Unlike the puppet kings under Nebuchadnezzar whose rule was at the will of someone else, this king is one who truly has authority, who truly has power, and his rule will be absolute. He will execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. Jeremiah proclaims to these people. This is a prophecy of the second coming of Christ. As we look ahead to the birth of Jesus Christ, which we will celebrate as Christmas, at Christmas, our eyes go even further beyond that. Because while his coming fulfilled it in part, it's still coming to be fulfilled in full. And just as certainly as he came the first time, as we look ahead to Christmas, lying ahead of us, as certainly as we are reminded that he came the first time, so certainly will he come again. We eagerly await his second coming in which he will execute justice and righteousness on the earth. And the name that he will be called by will be a reflection of that. The Lord our righteousness. He is the Lord, the God of promise, that covenant name of promise, the one who is faithful. He is our righteousness. He redeems his people from their own sins and failures. He redeems their broken leadership and he transforms it. He doesn't just make them righteous. He is their righteousness. Righteousness, we see in the New Testament, is something that comes by works or by faith. But by works, nobody can be declared righteous. In this dark and sinful world, we don't measure up. 
And we don't have to look far in our own lives to see the truth of us because no one is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3 verse 10. By faith, however, Jesus is your righteousness. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you confess him as Lord, you are found in him. And he promises his perfect righteousness to you. He promises to be your righteousness. And again, his name is Yahweh, Lord in capital letters, the one who keeps his promises. This is Jesus whom we look forward to. The good shepherd who delivers his people when all others fail. As we look ahead through the darker days of this winter season, and many of us might be struggling even more so with seasonal affective disorder and with depression and with more, and all we can see is the darkness. We can look ahead through the darkness to the one who is our light. We look ahead to Jesus who named himself Yahweh, John 8 verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus, the Lord, Yahweh, our righteousness. Jesus, the king who promises to deliver and the king who does deliver his people. And this brings us to our final point, deliverance. Jeremiah goes on. He says, In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell in safety. Now you have to understand where the nation, the people of God, the nation of Judah, would find themselves at this point in time. They'd be looking at that, and they'd be thinking, Judah, or sorry, Israel, really? Israel will be saved? Is that realistic? Israel's shattered. There's no hope there. Us, maybe. But not Israel. 722 BC, the date of Israel's exile, was quite some time before. They had been scattered among the nations. People from other nations had been taken in and they had been settled in their land. It seemed like there was no going back for Israel. There's no hope there. Would God's people from Israel ever be redeemed and rescued? Well, here's the beauty of God's promises. Where God promises things to his people, he delivers. And the same was absolutely true for Israel. As God promised, he began to gather his sheep together again. He brought Judah home from exile and he established them in the land again. But he also brought people from Israel back. Yes, he didn't bring them back as two separate nations again, but he did bring them back. As he promised, no sheep would be missing. The phrase, I will gather the remnant of my flock, the remnant, that last little bit, He wouldn't miss any of them. All of his chosen people would be back together again, gathered together again. Now, this didn't mean that it would be every individual Israelite right at that moment in time, yet it's true. We read in Romans 9 verse 6 that not all Israel is Israel. That's to say there were those 
in the nation who had rejected the promises of God. God gathered in those whom he had claimed as his own. More than that, there were those who died in exile. And for them, they were gathered by God in a different way. They went over the Jordan River of death, you might say, and entered into the heavenly promised land. But God brought his own and will bring his own scattered people together yet again. That being said, we only see the beginnings of this with the return from exile, the beginning of the fulfillment of that prophecy. Prophecy, you see, can be seen a little bit like a mountain range. And as a prophet is proclaiming about the future, what he sees as one mountain range, kind of a gray haziness in the distance, when you come closer to it, you can see that there are some mountains that are closer by and some mountains that are a fair ways off beyond that. We see the beginning of the fulfillment of this prophecy in the return from exile. But there's more to it than just the return. In Luke 2, verses 25 to 35, we see a Jew named Simeon who recognizes Jesus as the fulfillment of deliverance that will be coming to the people. He, you could say, is a representative of the nation of Judah, who are the vast majority of Jews living in Judea at the time of the birth of Christ. But it doesn't stop there. What do we see next? In Luke 2, verse 36 to 38, we see Anna. Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. Asher, one of the ten northern tribes of Israel. God had ensured that his Messiah would be greeted as a deliverer by Judah and by Israel. A representative from Israel who, despite the rejection of Christ by the majority of his people, still bore faithful witness of the faithful fulfillment of God's promises. Anna, who in verse 38 spoke of Christ to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. The beginnings of the fulfillment of this prophecy with the exile. The next stage with the deliverance that we see coming in Christ at Christmas. Or that we look forward to at Christmas, coming at his birth. But even that is not the final fulfillment. Because, beloved, it's not just deliverance from the guilt of sin and the penalty that comes with it that Christ gives us. There's a further fulfillment that's still coming. Because Jesus Christ is coming again. Just as certainly as he came 2,000 years ago, which we'll be celebrating in a few weeks, so certainly will he be coming again. And in that day, he will bring the fulfillment of his prophecy to completion. A fulfillment that he has already been showing us is beginning to be completed step by step. That he has showed us that there is truly hope. He has given us little glimpses of light that we can look ahead to step by step by step. 
and now he will bring it to us in full. And so, beloved, we're taught here in these, these days before Christmas, these days as we are looking ahead, that hope is not just a cruel joke. That our Redeemer lives. That our King, who is our righteousness, will succeed when all others fail. When other helpers fail and comforts flee. When leadership fails us. When we as leaders recognize our own failures. The help of the helpless will abide with me. As we turn to him in repentance and in faith. But Christ's rule is not something that we have to wait to the end to see. In the meantime, Christ has already begun his reign. Christ is reigning from heaven. He sent out his disciples as the representation of the new Israel. Twelve apostles representing twelve tribes of Israel in this new gospel age. Twelve apostles representing the full number of the people of God whom he claimed as his own and whom he will gather in. Not just Jews who shared in this hope before the coming of Christ, but people like you and me. All of God's people from every tongue and tribe and nation who look to him in hope. And he does rule over all with justice and righteousness. And his kingdom is breaking into this world. But that final day is still coming. When we lift up our eyes to heaven and we see his return in glory. When our king will reign in fullness and will prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, the full number of his people will be brought in, as Jeremiah prophesies. And then, verses 7 to 8, they won't just speak of the time when they are looking forward, or when when they look back to the return from Egypt. They won't just speak of the days when God brought them back from exile, delivering the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country, And as a whole, we won't even just speak of the day when Christ delivered us from the guilt and penalty of sin. But there's a progression here. From the deliverance in the land of Egypt, in verse 7, in verse 8, the return from exile, the return or the coming of Christ to earth when Christ delivered us from the guilt and penalty of sin. And then, in that final day, we'll speak of the days when Christ delivered us from the brokenness of this world. When the whole earth will be cleansed from sin and made new again. And will live under his good and righteous reign in the new heavens and the new earth. Under the reign of the Lord, our righteousness. Amen.